seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. Presenting Marius Goring, star of the motion picture Red Shoes, as Baroness Orchard's immortal character, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Marius Scoring as Sir Percy Blakeney. Fighting the war with France was not the sole preoccupation of politicians and military leaders, nor was the battlefield always the most strenuous theater in which it was pursued. There was another kind of war in which the League played a prominent part, the war of espionage and counter-espionage. Largely, it was fought in the darker places of Europe, in the holes and corners of the capitals, and particularly in London. Any news from Harding? Yes, Danny. Mm -hmm. At this moment, he's down in the Southern Dials, watching a certain antique shop, Simon's Arts and Antiques, no? Isn't it owned by an old fox called Simon Forrest? <laughs> the same. Tony, I'm convinced that this old man's shop is nothing but a distribution center for one of the biggest spy rings operating in the country. Forrest has the most motley clientele of any shopkeeper I've ever known. Ranging from ordinary dealers to ragamuffins and pickpockets. He's probably a receiver. There are also Frenchmen, including certain members of the aristocracy. And there's no doubt that some of these earn their living by selling military and political information. Spies among the French aristocracy? Oh, it sounds incredible. Mm, there are many who can never forget their exalted positions, their wealth. And the more unscrupulous have turned their hands to whatever sordid enterprise offer the most lucrative rewards. Simon Forrest's shop is one of their trading posts. Well, what do you propose to do? Organize a raid? No. To destroy a fox lair, it's not sufficient to deal with the cubs. Our task is to find the brains, the organizer. And we won't do that by hammering on a door in Seven Dials. Well? Well, there's a man named Henri de Fontaine. Mm -hmm. He calls at the shop regularly once a week at 7 o'clock on a Thursday evening. And he's living in Villiers Street, number 69. I want you to watch him, Tony. Note every call he makes. And if he leads you to an interesting contact, leave Burns to follow it up. Where will you be if I want you? Huh? Well, I've been invited to Sir John Castle's house party in Sussex. <laughs> One or two gentlemen there whose acquaintance I'd like to make. A good hunting, Tony. <laughs> I heard nothing from Tony for a week. I could well imagine that his task, unrelieved by the excitement which attended most of our missions, was long and intensely boring. Meanwhile, I was bored in a different way. Oh, how refreshing it is to get out into the air. 
the ball room. He felt stuffy and crowded. Uh, Lord Charge's friend appears to have the same view. Uh, I do think you might introduce me. Ah, Lady Cushing. Countess, may I present Sir Percy Blakeney, the Countess of Ravenel? Charm. It is a great pleasure. And now, if you'll excuse me, I must talk to some of my other guests. I've deserted them shamefully. All your fault, Sir Percy. You would make me dance. Countess danced to perfection. So beautiful was she that I must confess, for a little while, I forgot all thoughts of my mission. I was just happy in the company of a beautiful woman. But when the dance finished and we sat down, I received a rude shock. So, it is a long time since we met. <laughs> my dear lady, we've uh, never met before. Ah, you are very clever at changing your appearance, Sir Percy. But one thing you cannot change, the touch of your hand on a lady's arm... I shall never forget the man who rescued me from France. His face was unlike yours, but the grip of his hand as he helped me into the coach, that I shall never forget. All mistake. I wonder how many people here realize who you are. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> they seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Uh, how does the rest of it go, Sir Percy? You should ask Chauvelin. Oh, yes, poor Chauvelin. Uh, tell me about your next adventure, Sir Percy. Uh, when do you go back to my beloved France? Uh, that is what Chauvelin would give his right arm to know. Uh, forgive me. Uh, that was very, uh, how do you say, uh, indiscreet, no? Uh, no, but uh, merely a reflection of your romantic mind, stimulated by the music and the champagne. And the light of the moon? She is so beautiful tonight. Look at her drifting through the clouds. You have such beautiful thoughts, Countess, um, Almost too beautiful. You're a very clever woman. Don't try to be too clever, will you? The following morning, I watched Sir John Castle's guests proceeding to the hunt. I myself was too preoccupied with a different kind of sport. The sport of intrigue. Sir John Castle, my host, remained behind with me. Rheumatism, Percy. I'm afraid my days in the hunting field are over. Hello, who's this? Morning, Blakeney. Morning, Tony. And let me introduce you to Sir John Castle. Sir John, there's Mr. Tony Dewhurst. Indeed, a pleasure. I, I'll join you later, gentlemen. Well, what's the news? De Fontaine was most obliging. Before leaving for his appointment with Simon Forrest, he made a call on the Countess of Revive. Oh, oh. She left shortly afterwards in her coach. Oh. Where is Burns? I told him to keep De Fontaine in sight. Ah, this ring is well organized, Tony. Uh -huh. The Countess supplies the information. A messenger like De Fontaine is provided, and he passes whatever he learns from the Countess to Simon Forrest. A day or two later, a customer calls, receives the latest information, which he smuggles over to France. In this way, the links in the chain are separated one from the other. Well, there must be many other chains operating in the same well, way. Well, too many for us to concentrate on at once. But something tells me that this one stems from the source. The master. Yeah, we should watch the Countess of Reville. Well, at this moment, she's about 12 feet above your head. You mean she's... When she left her house yesterday, she was on her way here. <laughs> Sir John's house party proceeded favourable to its conclusion. That same evening, the men retired to their cards, whilst the women picked up the threads of aimless chatter and gossip. From the balcony adjoining the drawing room, I watched the Countess moving among the female guests like a beautiful cat. And I observed particularly that her attention, idle though it appeared, dwelt exclusively amongst those whose husbands were of a military or political calling. This shouldn't be repeated, of course. My husband told me in great confidence. Yes, Lady Bilfer. He leaves for France on Monday. A whole contingent of dragoons. Just think 
Look at Oh, how you will miss him, Beatrice. Does one ever miss a husband? <laughs> she was very clever. She seldom asked questions. It wasn't necessary. Presently, an idea occurred to me. I decided on a rule. <laughs> yes, the trouble with this party, Clarge, is not enough unattached women. <laughs> oh, they hover. They all do, old boy. They hover. <laughs> hey, uh, as a matter of fact, I was wondering, Sir Percy. Uh, well, wondering? It's like asking you. I, I hardly know you. I was wondering whether you could manage a small loan. Oh, how much do you want? Well, you can have a trouble, 1,200 pounds. Oh, 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 that's a lot of money. You see, I, I, I could repay it in, in a matter of weeks. Could, could you, really? Oh, you can't help me. I don't think we need prolonged the discussion, Sir Percy. I'd be glad if you'd treat the matter in the strictest confidence. Oh, gladly, gladly. <laughs> oh, no, no, just, just, a, just a moment, just yeah. a moment. There's no need to get in the huffle. Now, you'll just leave me your IOU, and I'll see you get the money by the end of the week. Oh, I'm most grateful. Not at all, not at all. Always glad to help a friend. Matter of fact, I'm very grateful to you. Me? Mm. You're, you're a man of discernment, my dear fellow. You perceive something which usually escapes other people's attention. Huh? You recognize my true qualities. You realize that underneath the mask of a buffoon lies a shrewd and calculating brain. I don't think you're a fool, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> You'd never think, would you, that the cabinet had entrusted me with a mission, would you now? <laughs> entrusted with a mission? A mission of vital importance. But huh? If I told you, you'd never believe me. I, uh... And keep a secret if you wish to confide in me. <laughs> yeah, there's a wonderful thing about a gathering of this sort that everybody confides in everybody else. <laughs> everybody has a secret. But my secret is the most important of the lot. Tell me. 17th of July, I'm leaving for France with dispatches for General Conway. Military dispatches. What do you think about that, eh? I think it's most interesting, Sir <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would. Shh, shh. simplicity of my plan ensured its success. Each step I took was calculated with the ultimate design of disclosing more of the organization and the brains behind it. Moreover, the trap I prepared was braced by the conviction of truth. I was to receive military dispatches for General Conway, and I had every intention of starting my journey to him on July the 17th. The following day, the house party broke up, and I returned to London. What are your plans, Blackney? If Clarges passes the information I gave him to the Countess, Simon Forrest will get a visitor in the course of the next 24 hours, and I intend to be there. A courier has just brought this letter, sir, Patsy. Uh, thank you. Thank you. What? Oh, 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 listen to this. How did it? Dear Sir Percy, I am deeply and eternally grateful for the generous loan which has relieved the heavy burden of debts incurred in the last two years of a wasted life, but in return, I have done you the gravest mischief. As soon as you receive this letter, I beg of you to come at once to my apartment, number 39, Buckingham Terrace. I wait anxiously for your reply. Yours, etc. Clarges. Well, what do you make of that? Ah, it's quite clearly a trap. I don't think so. That letter screams of conscience. Oh, it's nice to know he has one. Sounds as though he's willing to talk. Try the knocker again. Mm, he may be round at the back. Blakeney, the door's open. Well, let's go in. <laughs> 
through the heart. Somebody knew what he had to tell us, Tony. Whoever that was, murdered him. returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel. one of many mere pawns in the vast game of espionage. The man who used that dagger was probably a hard assassin. The real murderer is our Mr. X. Well, do you think we'll get any nearer to him through Simon Forrest? Simon Forrest won't bring us to a conclusion, no. But I do believe he represents one step nearer the conclusion. By tomorrow night, I think I shall know the identity of the man we want. Well, I'll leave you here. I'm going down to Seven Dials. information and the code numbers of those who came to collect it. But that was all. 
Uh, you're over the shop and carry on your business in the usual way. Are you going? I won't be far away. If you try to escape, you'll be brought back immediately. Three of my friends are outside at this moment. And believe me, they are watching you like hawks. You know, Blakeney, this is about the craziest idea the warhouse has ever had. <laughs> Still, orders are orders. The dispatches will be delivered to your house first thing in the morning. Yes, General. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you get through to General Conway, it will be one of the greatest services you've ever rendered. And maybe the only one, eh, Blakeney? I'm quite confident, sir. I shall get through. Don't you be too confident. The obstacles don't necessarily lie waiting for you in France. Oh, don't they? Well, no. where? They're here in London. Oh. If the French get wind of your sailing, you can be sure that Citizen Chauvelin will have a reception committee waiting for now, you. there's a man I'd really like to meet. <laughs> oh, terrible, I like Well, in these circumstances, <laughs> perhaps he'd even enjoy meeting you, eh, Blakeney? <laughs> yes, well, now let's go to the club. Into the club. You can lunch with me, actually. Uh, yeah, well, thank you, thank you. Oh, there's an old friend of mine. Oh, will you excuse me for a moment, sir? Yes, well, of course, my dear. John, a word with you. Uh, how do you suppose I can get in touch with that delightful little Countess? Um, what's her name? Um, the Countess of Ravine? Uh, say. Uh, between friends, perfect. Of course. Uh, now, if I give you her address, you promise not to steal her from her. Oh, faithless. Uh, at least only temporal. Uh, then I shall return her to you intact. Intact. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, Provided, of course, she leaves me intact. <laughs> Not like poor old Clarges, for instance. Good heavens, man, you don't think well, that... You heard about him. Yes, very sad indeed. Suicide, of course. Ever induced him to death. Oh, he was in a bad state. Debts were enormous. You had been there less than 1,500 pounds, you know. Yeah. Signatures all over the place. Frightful, frightful. You can't suppose that there's any connection between Clarges' death and the Countess Ravine. Uh, I suspect a slight case of l'amour, my dear John. <laughs> l'amour. <laughs> Clarges told me he was desperately in love with him. Oh, poor fellow. And you want her address... Protecting Providence, what? <laughs> you know, on the day Clarges died, he, he, he sent me a little note. Oh? Yes, would you, would you like to read it? Uh, yes, of course. Good heavens. Whatever did he mean by a grave mischief? <laughs> I, I didn't yeah. it at all. <laughs> well, what makes you think our mutual friend can throw light on the mystery? Oh, uh, I believe the dear Countess was with him half an hour before his death. That'll be about the time you wrote the note, you know. I called on the Countess the same afternoon. She was not at home. That is to say, she was not at home to me. I was not surprised. That night, I returned to the shop in Seven Dials. It was Thursday, the 16th of July. I spent the best part of 40 minutes preparing myself to receive Mr. Simon Forrest's very special client... It was not easy to effect a total disguise, but I relied on the chance of a first meeting. Forrest himself had no idea whom he was to expect. I think someone's arriving now. Listen. Stay in the back parlor. Not a sound. You are Simon Forrest? Yes, believe it. At your service, believe it. Uh, I am looking for a small Louis XV table. Newly gilded, milady? Newly gilded. And recently upholstered? In flower chintz. You were expecting me? Yes, milady. You are to keep this sealed envelope. You are to give it to the person who will ask for a small crystal chandelier. You will reply as follows. <laughs> It was an Englishman who called. 
a huge, murderous-looking ruffian with a deep scar on his cheek. I realized at once that if this man was not a murderer already, he had every intention of repairing the omission upon his first meeting with Sir Percy Blakeney. His name was Rufus Crouch. He had obviously been carefully selected for the job. No mean adversary to reckon with. A man of considerable intelligence. I gave him the sealed envelope left with me by the Countess of Raville. <laughs> July the 17th. Ah, an interesting date. Hey, old man. <laughs> A lovely date, Mr. Croucher. The following morning, I took the stage for Dover, keeping strictly to the letter of my arrangements for the general, with one slight exception. We leave in one minute, my lord. Everything all right, Tony? Yes. Harding will meet you halfway, and Burns will be in Dover, well ahead of you. Well, tell him to go to the Saracen Inn mm -hmm. and hide the dispatches under a floorboard in his room. Now for the false ones. Have you got them ready? Yes, yeah. Good luck, Blakeney. See you when I get back. All being well in my month's time. Hardly worth mentioning. And you? I? Oh, I'm meeting some friends. Very boring, I'm afraid. Ah, well, you can't expect excitement all the time. An hour after nightfall, we approached a lonely stretch of road some 20 miles from Dover. I knew that presently the blow would be struck, and my thoughts dwelt with some misgiving on the scarred image of Mr. Rufus Crouch. The success of my ultimate plan depended upon being deprived of the fake dispatches. But more important to me, on my ability to escape with my life after Mr. Crouch's primary object had been achieved. I consoled myself with the fact that Harding was now sitting in the driver's seat. Oh! Hey. Oh, there! Oh! What's all this about? Keep your seat, driver, and you'll stay on Look, there are no valuables inside the coach and precious few passengers. Stay in the coach, all of you. All except you, Blakeney. I want you out on the road. I've got six armed men with me. One false move and you're a dead duck. Oh, I, I say, do it. Just tell me what you want and let me proceed on my journey. Search him. Uh, hey, oh, oh, oh. Ah, good. Let me have that. Oh, those, I say, those are state documents. No. Do you know the penalty? <laughs> Death for the man who carries them. <laughs> they won't be with me long. Come on, lady. Hey, the coach. Stop that coach. Wait, wait, me. Falling back. Oh. Well, put me down a quarter of a mile from the inn, will you? Right. When you find the driver, get along there and meet me. I wonder who'll be there this time. And if my guess is correct, Crouch has been instructed to hand the dispatches to the Countess. And that's why she was there today. Oh. And by now she's got company, someone I've been waiting to meet for a long time. We watched from a clump of bushes fringing the courtyard. First we saw Crouch in his hard, cutthroat centre. And then a few minutes later, a coach rolled up to the front door. 
17 of our men are surrounding the inn. Now, Collins will take care of Crouch's men. Harding, yeah. you take over the back and signal me when you're ready. Right. Sydney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. 